0: morning guys how's everybody very enthusiastic uh i appreciate when we first started the church so when i first got here about five years ago no one would sit in the front and i've noticed that since covid's happened we've we've reverted back to that methodology so i just want to encourage you these sections are okay front rows are okay it's all right can scoop forward. It's all good. Uh, I'm excited to be here. We had an amazing week of camp for our students this week. I don't know if you guys were following along uh, on our social pages or watching what happened. Our kids went to Lee University to CIY camp this week. Uh, the holiest among us, the leaders that were there, got about Four hours of sleep a night is what was reported to me. Uh, but the result of that was just tons of revival in our student area. And so we had a bunch of students that came back really, really fired up about Jesus, that made new commitments to their relationship with Christ. And there's a lot of amazing things happening in our middle school and in our high school ministry. I wanna really, really encourage everybody, one, to thank all of those adults who stayed up late with your children, Right? Uh, to make sure you're patting them on the back and saying, hey, you took a week off work. A bunch of them took a week off work so that they could hang out with our kids and that's that's deserving of our honor and 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 respect, but secondly, August 1st, we're gonna start a student gathering, and so as we worship in here, our students, middle school and high school, are gonna be worshiping over in the student area with the band, they're gonna be singing, they're gonna be preaching, all the same kinds of things that are happening here are gonna be happening over there, and I am super, super excited about it, so I wanna encourage you, if you have students Bring them August 1st, uh, force them to come uh, and be a part of that. And if you have neighbor kids, you can't really force the neighbor kids to come, but you can invite them. So invite them to be a part of it. Uh, We're really excited about all that God is doing in our students and in our young people uh, and we had an amazing week a few weeks ago, where the students led us in worship, and just am hearing more and more testimonies of how that ministered to people in our church. And so we believe in the next generation at grace. We're excited excited about the next generation at grace and excited about what God's doing with them and so help me encourage them and bring lots of students to be a part of all that's happening there. We're in a series uh, where we're looking at the seven churches of Revelation and, and we're jumping into the first few chapters of Revelation looking at those letters that are written to the seven churches in Revelation. Now it matters to us because what we're doing is we're looking at what Jesus had to say to the churches of that time in Asia Minor. And as we look at what Jesus had to say to those churches, we recognize that maybe he has something to say to us today. And so as we've been reading these letters and looking at what Jesus had to say to these churches long ago, we're asking the question, what would Jesus say to Grace Marietta today? What's the message that he would have for us? Because these letters weren't written to us, but they are written for us. Right? And so that although they weren't written specifically to Grace Marietta, they are written for us where we can learn and grow and understand what God is saying. And so we're in Revelations chapter three. Uh, we're right around verse seven and we're talking about the Church of Philadelphia. Now I wanna be really clear. This is not the Philadelphia that you're thinking about. Right? This is not the team that the Atlanta Hawks just put out of the playoffs right? This is not the place where they have mediocre Philly cheesesteaks and think that they're amazing and where they think it's an amazing city, but it's really actually pretty dirty, right? This is not that place. This is not where Ryan Tuttle is from, <laughs> all right? And I know many of you have been trying to figure out how to get America in the Bible. This is not it, right? This is Philadelphia, and this is in a different place, and this is what this looks like, right? So, so what, what we're talking about is this church in Asia Minor, and, and, and it's this church in this specific context and in this specific place. And, and, and the writer here uses two metaphors to talk about the church in Philadelphia. He uses the metaphor of a key and a door. A key and a door. Uh, and I don't know if you've ever wondered or thought back on your life about the decisions that you've made and wondered if I would've just walked through that door how different would my life be? Do you ever do this? you ever look back and wonder like if I had taken that job, if I had moved to that place, if I had made this decision over this decision, how would my life look different? There's a movie that came out in the early '90s. it wasn't a good movie i don't recommend anybody to see it, uh, but it was a movie called "Sliding Doors." It was a Gwyneth Paltrow romantic comedy. You, Get the gist of it already, right? Uh, but, but the premise of the movie was Gwyneth is in her office. She gets fired from her job. She walks down to the subway in New York City, and she's just about to open, well, it's actually the sliding door here of the subway station, and it closes because she stumbles and trips, and the door closes, and then it goes on to show kind of her life and what happens when the door shuts, but then it clips to a different scene where she walks out of her office, walks through the door, and actually opens the door and walks through it. And so the rest of the movie tells the story of how different her life would be if she walked through one simple door. How everything would change and everything would be transformed if she walked through one simple door simple door. Now I do this in a really annoying way. So so my family and I were headed on vacation uh, first week of June. We head, we take the Atlanta trip down to the beach in Florida. I, I know many of you, that's what you do when you have little kids. Uh, it's easy, it's cheap, it's a pretty quick drive, the beach is pretty nice. And so we're, we take this trip down uh, probably a couple times a year to a house that our friends have uh, in Florida and we go and we hang out there. And so we're taking this drive and we woke up really early and got going early because I don't wanna miss a beach day. Anybody with me? Like, I wanna get there so that I can be on the beach with a drink in my hand by the time the sun is right in its peak place. That's my goal for vacation. So we're getting up early, we're heading out, uh, and and uh, and we're driving, and we stopped at a gas station right as we were pulling out of town um, because uh, our children were complaining they needed donuts and whatever it is that they get, and my wife needs coffee and uh, water and all those kinds of things, but my wife is, like, she's special, and and she doesn't, she won't drink, like, normal water, like normal human beings. She has to get the bougie water. Anybody with me? Yeah, we got a few of you. Like, she won't, buy, like, it can't be just plain bottled water, Dasani, something like that. It has to be something that was, like, frozen on the peak of Mount Everest and it drifted down and someone, a monk in Tibet like gathered it in a bowl and they brought it together to holy people and they prayed over it and Beyonce sang over it and they they put it in a bottle that's not like normal size. She buys like the, like it's this size and it's like a glass bottle that's like, it's it's what she does, God. Jesus loves her, and so do I, uh, but I pay $7 every time we buy a water. Like, it's the most ridiculous thing ever. I don't know if that's what it really costs, but I don't really wanna know. Sometimes I just don't wanna know what my wife spends on things. I'm just like, don't tell me. Uh, so she, we pull into a gas station. She buys this enormous thing uh, of, of water, and so uh, about three hours into the trip, she's like, I have to go to the bathroom. Uh, and I want to get there, right? I want to be on the beach. And so we pull off, and we pull into a different gas station. It's a pilot station. Uh, and as we pull into this pilot station, I walked in, and I, I, I smelled the smell immediately of Cinnabon. And it was so, like, I walked in. It was so strong. And listen, I'm not a gas station food person. I'm, uh, like, I, don't, I don't recommend it. I don't think it's a good idea. I don't think it's a wise choice ever but I could smell it, and it smelled really good, and I hadn't eaten, and I know I was driving, but I was like, I'm getting me one of those, and so I walked up to the little counter. I, I bought, there was like a little Cinnabon station in the middle of the thing. It wasn't like it was just sitting on a heat lamp, so I thought, maybe it'll be okay, and so I, I buy this little Cinnabon. We get back in the car. We start driving, and shockingly, the Cinnabon probably had been sitting there for about a week. It was hard as a rock, right? It, it, it was really solid, and so I'm I didn't think through, like this is what happened, and this is, this is my weakness, right? My wife does the bougie water, I don't think about things. I didn't think about driving while trying to eat a Cinnabon at all. And so I've got a plastic fork that broke three seconds into me trying to like, cut it because the thing's hard as a rock. And so I'm trying to drive and we're pulling around and all of a sudden I see the lights of a police officer behind me. Yeah, it didn't go well. I was actually driving really fast while I was swerving a little bit, trying to eat a Cinnabon. And the, the officer said, do you know how fast you were going? And I said, no, I was trying to eat a Cinnabon. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm an idiot. And he wrote me a ticket. And, and this is what like normal people, what they would do at this point is they would say like, man, I should not have bought that Cinnabon. and try, I should pay more attention to when I'm driving. I I should be repentant, like there should be some kind of repentance on a moment like that. You know what I thought? If you hadn't bought that bougie water, we would have never stopped at that gas station. (laughs) If you didn't have to get a eight, like we would be keep driving, I would not have gotten a ticket, all of these things wouldn't have happened, I wouldn't have walked through the door of Cinnabon, you wouldn't have walked through the bathroom door, that police officer wouldn't have made me roll down the window in my door, and I wouldn't have gotten that ticket. This is what we often do. We think about, over and over again, what if? And what could have happened if? And what if I hadn't? And what if I do this? And what if this thing went different? And sometimes it's fun and it's silly and it's about Cinnabons and speeding tickets, but sometimes it's serious. Sometimes we spend our entire life regretting the door that we didn't walk through. Sometimes we spend the entire life regretting that job that we didn't take, that promotion that we didn't grab, that dream that we didn't pursue, that girl that we didn't ask out. Whatever it is, we spend our whole life thinking about what's that one thing that we didn't do. Revelation chapter three, verse seven, to the church of Philadelphia, it says this. And the angel of the church in Philadelphia writes this. The words of the holy one, the true one, that's Jesus, who has what? who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts what no one will open. It's a pretty cool key, all right? He has the key, so Jesus is what he's saying. Jesus holds the key, he's the one who's writing this. He holds the key and he opens what no one else will shut and he shuts what no one else will open. What he's saying here, the key of David is what he's talking about. And the key of David is like, it's been used over and over again, worship artists love to use it as the title of their album, because it sounds like it's like the key of D, the key of David, I I don't know. It's creative, but I've seen like 85 worship albums called the key of David. But here's what it actually comes from, and it comes from Isaiah 22:22. 22, 22. Isaiah 22:22 22, 22 says this: "I will place on his shoulder the key to the house of David, and what he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open." Sound familiar? This is a prophecy in the Old Testament. Isaiah is given a prophecy to Eliakim. And, and Eliakim is a prophet in this, in this place, and what he's saying to Eliakim is, what's going to happen to you is you are going to get the keys to the heavenly realm. You're going to get the keys to something that not everybody else can access, that not everybody else has the ability to do. I'm going to give you the key to do something that unlocks things that others can't. That's a really good prophecy, isn't it? Like, I kinda want that prophecy, right? Uh, here I'm gonna give you the key that can open doors that nobody else knows how to open. I'm gonna give you the key that shuts doors that no one else knows how to shut. And all throughout the Bible, all throughout scripture, there is this picture of the heavenly realm and the earthly realm. There's this picture of these two worlds that are living around one another. But Jesus taught us they're closer than what we think. When Jesus taught us to pray, what did he say? He said, on earth as it is in heaven, right? That we want everything, we want these two realms to collide. So what Jesus said is is he came announcing the kingdom of God, that this kingdom of heaven has actually come down to earth and that these two worlds, heaven and earth, are closer than we imagine that they would be. In Corinthians, Paul talks about this veil that all of us at one point will have unveiled faces and we'll be able to see the heavenly realm and the earthly realm corresponding and working together. The Celts in church history called this the thin space or a thin place. It's when heaven and earth are close It's in those moments where it feels like this is holy. It feels like surely God is in this place. Surely heaven has touched earth today. When I hear the testimonies of our kids coming back from camp, they're telling me it was a holy place, Dad. There was this moment where heaven and earth met. There was this moment where something amazing happened. There was this moment where we got the Holy Spirit jigglies in our heart and we started feeling like something's happening in this place and God is here and we just want to be with him. The Young people, I need you to bring that energy of worship that I saw in those videos into our worship on Sundays because our adults can learn how to celebrate in worship from you.